I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles or click in your devices to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Well, when I was in sixth grade, I made a new friend at at Rosedale Elementary School. It's the school that's over there. I don't know. I think it's called Rosedale Middle School now. And it was a new guy. He had just come into the area, and we rode the same bus back and forth to school, and we had the same interests. He liked baseball. I liked baseball. We were both Christians. He went to church. I went to church. I mean, what could, what could be anything? This was, it was awesome. We, we got together. We understood each other. We met each other. He lived, in fact, on Hageman Road just past Renfro. That's down that way, just a little bit. And we'd ride, we'd meet each other on our bikes. Well, he asked me one time since I went to church, he said, hey, you want to go to church with me? And I said, well, sure, I'll ask. And I asked my mom. My mom said, sure, you can go. So back in the day, we went, we went Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, and also on Wednesday nights. Now, I thought this was a great deal because I didn't have to travel all the way to East Bakersfield to go to church. That's, I'm, I'm letting you in on a secret. That's why I began coming here, because I could sleep in on a Sunday morning, and I didn't have to travel all the way to East Bakersfield. I'm not recommending that, parents. Don't let your kids do that, but that's how I got here. Well, she said yes, and I went with him that night. We went on a Sunday, a Sunday evening, and I showed up, and okay, this church wasn't as big as, as what the one I was used to, but to say it was a different experience than what I had ever experienced before would be an understatement. Now, when they began the singing time, Right? They had a single, a single piano player, and they had also a, a lady with a tambourine. All right, so okay, this is okay, this is interesting. And everybody raised their hands when they were singing. Okay, I've seen that before. That's that's all right. I, that's that's okay. I get it. Then others began running up and down the aisle. I'm not saying this to joke. I'm just saying this is this is what it was the experience. Folks began running up and down the aisle, and that caught my attention. Okay, that's, that's different. And then people all around me, and I would say most of the people in the room, began to speak in, in strange dialects that I had never heard before. Now, these were not languages that I had ever heard or had even heard on anywhere else that I could remember and I, a little sixth grader, I was unnerved. I, what is going on? I, I, don't, I don't know. Well, my dad's parents, they were from the Assemblies of God. They, they grew up there. They were very godly people. But when I would go to my grandparents' house, I, wouldn't, I never remembered them taking me to church. Now, not because they were embarrassed of their church, but they were... Those folks were old when I, was, when I was a kid. They were in their late 70s when I was born. So, I mean, they were happy. I was happy just to, just to go over there. I, I love my grandparents. Well, one of my dad's family, 
again, they come from the assemblies of God. One of my dad's family, my aunt, Elrisa, we went to her church quite often. She lived in Lancaster. She was a piano player extraordinaire. Joel, I don't mean this. She'd blow you away. And you talk about flashy. Oh, my goodness. I mean, she was whipping it up, you know, raising her hands while she's playing. How in the world are you doing that? And the congregation was definitely, they were more demonstrative in the way that they, they worshipped. I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that's the way it was. And they responded to their, to their singing. But I was young, and I re never really even paid attention to what or how they, what's going on around me. I was just, oh, okay, this is what's happening. What am I going to eat afterwards? Just being really honest. As I've grown older, I've been able to experience many different cultures, maybe be here in the United States, but also outside of the United States, in Asia, in Latin America, in Southern, in South America. And many, many people follow Christ and they follow him in a way that they believe is correct. They follow what they would say, the Spirit is leading us to do this. Many depend on their experiences. It's an experience-based way that they worship, and they experience that, and they, their emotions. I'm not an emotional person, or I try not to be. But some of the places that I've been, they, they lack any semblance of order. It's all, just slow down, just slow down, slow down, slow, 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 slow down, slow your roll. I mean, they're much like the church that I visited when I was in sixth grade. I do not mean this in a bad way. The ones that I, the church that I went to in sixth grade and some of the other ones, I would call them charismaniacs. Okay, again, slow your roll. They're all, they're experiencing, they're not thinking and they're not following what the scriptures say. They're doing what their emotions do. On the other extreme, I mean, we have that group. On the other extreme, I've been to other congregations who are like Jack Webb and Dragnet. Some of you are going, who in the world is that? <laughs> Just the facts. Just the facts. They're cold. They're almost they're self-reliant. I would call them hyper-cessationists, meaning that they believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit have ceased. All that to say, this is how some people worship. 
But understand me, church, we're called to do more than worship on a Sunday morning. It is important. It is the highlight, I hope, of many of our, of our time on, on that week where we come to see God's people and we worship God. But we're called to do more than worship on Sunday. We're called to worship the Lord with our lives. It's called worth-ship. Give Him worth. And what we can do the most is live our lives in ways that He would want us to live. And we accomplish this by the Holy Spirit. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Him working in our lives. I do say Him Jesus promised his apostle the night before he apostles the night before he went to the cross said I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will not come to you but if I go I will send him to you and when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit that came to the apostles. They were promised these things and even more after Jesus died. Jesus said, you will do more than what I've done. The Believers in Corinth, the book that we were studying in our current series, Gifted to Serve, were also promised and told that the Holy Spirit indwells with them. And in fact, in chapter 1, verse 7, we hear this promise. You are not lacking in any gift. Hear that again. You are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Corinthian church, they were a body that had become one where the believers were, maybe I can say it this way, they were trying to one-up each other. Constantly. They had split loyalties. They were not addressing sexual sin in their midst. They were taking each other to court. They had questions about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. They were even divided on what we had just done, the Lord's Supper. They, they did that in ways that were just totally wrong. And these were some of the problems that Paul addressed because of a letter that was sent to him. We don't have that letter. We don't have the letter that was sent to Paul, but we have the letter that Paul wrote back to them answering the questions. And he replied to them. He told them this. He said, you're still babies in Christ. 
where you should be getting meat, I can only give you milk. You're still babies. Meaning they were immature. But as I read earlier, they were lacking in nothing. They had been given everything by God that they needed when it came to spiritual gifts. And they wanted questions answered about these too. And concerning the gifts, like most everything else, they weren't understanding the reason that God had given it to them, given them to them. They didn't know. They wanted what was showy. They wanted to, to speak more in more tongues than the next person. They wanted to prophesy more than the next. They wanted the emphasis on them, not on God. Well, the short answer why the gifts were given is what the sermon is entitled today. They were given for the common good. The Spirit of God gave these gifts for the common good. They'd been zealous for the gifts. They wanted them. We want what you have, God. And don't we? Do not. We want what God has to offer us because they're good. But they wanted the gifts for all the wrong reasons. And just like all the people that I mentioned earlier in my worship experiences, I'm sure they wanted to be right in the way that they were led by the Spirit. And I'm sure, RBC, that we want to be right as well. Well, how can we do that? Any of you know what a plumb line is? A plumb line is something that you, well, you can has a heavy weight and it put it somewhere and it goes down to the earth and gravity holds it there and it's straight. I'm talking about the plumb line of apostolic teaching. Now the Corinthians, they had a personal letter from the Apostle Paul. We have the personal letter from the Apostle Paul that has been divinely preserved for us. The Scriptures. We have the same letter that was written to them. And this morning, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, we're going to first look at the command to know the gifts, the source of the gifts, and finally the diversity of the gifts. And when you look at chapters 12 through 14, it becomes rather apparent the Corinthians were occupied, I might say preoccupied, with two gifts. I mentioned them earlier, prophecy and tongues. They, that's what they wanted to know. They wanted to know most about those, and they, that's what they wanted. That's what they wanted. Case in point, 1 Corinthians, and like they said, the 12 through 14, our passage today in verses 8 through 10 and verses 28 and 29, which we'll go to next week, that's what they talk about. That's one of the, one of the ones that are focused on. In chapter 13, the focus is on what? The importance of love with the gifts. But again, prophecy and tongues are brought up in that particular chapter. 
And then in chapter 14, Paul focuses on these two gifts specifically. But I'm not going to talk about those very much today. We'll get to that later. So we can safely say that that's the issue. But we're going to study the others too. Well, let's look at our passage beginning in verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now we looked at this verse last week. It's why we're doing this. We were looking at spiritual because we want to be informed. We don't want to be uninformed. We're not going to spend that much time here only to say, notice, these people are called brothers, and I'm going to add sisters in there too because it's, it's a collective. These were brothers and sisters. They, they didn't know correctly. They were doing things that they weren't supposed to, but yet they were still believers, right? They were brothers and sisters in Christ. They messed up as a church, but they were still part of God's family, and they'd been given spiritual gifts by God, and they needed to understand what it meant to use them to be used correctly. Well, Paul reminded them that they had once been without Christ. Church, we were there too. Some of us have been Christians so long that we can't remember. That's why I love baby Christians. Even better, baby adult Christians. They know what they've, what they've been missing. Verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. And this is showing the contrast between, between the Corinthians of the past, before Christ, and the Corinthians now, in Christ. Between lost and found. Between saved and unsaved. The pagans, meaning unbelieving people who followed their own devices, their own ways. And those who have now bowed a knee to Christ. It's the contrast between living in the flesh and living in the spirit. The contrast between trying to know God to be good enough before God on your own, which is not going to work, and trusting in Christ and being under his lordship. rather than admitting that their actions are worthless. To embracing everything that Christ had done, who had given them eternal life. The idols that they had once followed were useless. They didn't answer if your life depended on it. Remember, an idol is a piece of wood, a piece of glass for us, something on a screen something on a magazine cover, something on a billboard. That's an idol for us. They're useless. They don't answer us, but God does. They don't respond, but Jesus does. But they were led away by supernatural influences, but now they are controlled and indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 3 tells us, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one can say Jesus is Lord 
except in the Holy Spirit. Again, think with me, two camps. Two camps. There's no in-between. There's no fence. There's no fence that you can straddle. Either you're in Christ or you're not. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. There's no middle ground. And someone, remember, that if they declare that Jesus is accursed, this means that they condemn the work of Christ. They look at it and say, foolishness. Foolishness. They condemn his work. They condemn his character. And they condemn everything that he's done. Whether by words or by actions. Now make no mistake, a wicked man can mouth the words, Jesus is Lord. You can say anything, but that doesn't mean that it's true, a true confession. But only through the control of the Spirit can a person truly live a life that is pleasing and honorable before God. Hear me again, there is no walking offense. There is no Switzerland's. You're not neutral. For me or against me. You're on one side or the other. And when you know this true spirit and he lives and, in control and controls you, you are ready and able to be used by him. We're commanded to know the gifts and we need to understand now the source of the gifts. In our next three verses we can see the Trinity at work here. Spirit, Lord, and God. Maybe I reverse that Father, the Son, and the Spirit giving these gifts. And these gifts are described in the, in the Greek language as charisma. It's where we get charismatic from. A free gift, a gift of mercy, a gift of grace, one that's totally unexpected and undeserved. Let's look at our passage, verses 4 through 6. Now there are, a variety, are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Now, when speaking of varieties, we know that it means different, all right? If you have a different variety, we have a, it's, oh, it's, a di it's different. But it also can mean distribution. They're interchangeable. Now, look at, this, look at this passage again. I know it's not going to be on the screen, but I want you to hear this. Now, there are varieties. They're different distributions, and they're different. They're different gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties, different Different things of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties. There is a difference of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. We see unity. Unity in the Godhead, but different gifts, service, and activities. Now, speaking of differences, aren't you glad? I don't particularly need to spend my time singing. Sorry, I don't. That's why I don't sing here on the pulpit very often because I don't want to, I don't have the gift. But some of you do. You love to sing. 
You sing in the shower. Heaven help you. You sing in the car. I'm glad your windows are rolled up. But you know what? Others of you don't like intellectual endeavors. I can sit and study for hours. Some of you, just give me the, just give me the facts. You do the thinking for me and I'll, I'll listen to you. Now, speaking of different gifts, it's football season, right? Nate, did you win on Friday? Yeah? Okay, good. All right. So Nate's plays for BCHS. I believe he's on the Froshsoft team. Froshsoft or JV? All right. So he plays on the JV team at BCHS. Now, I don't know. I haven't seen him play yet, but I'm definitely going to go see because it's exciting to me to have a student in our ministry. I loved it. I love it when I was able to go watch people play, do their stuff. All right, football, you have to have a quarterback. Every team has to have a quarterback or you're not going to do well. But guess what? Not everybody's a quarterback. No way. You also need these big dudes that are called offensive linemen to keep the bad guys on the other team away from the quarterback. Sorry, defense, I'm going to leave you out this time. All right. They're there. They're there to move the pile, to move it so the, the offensive, so the tailback or the fullback, they can carry the ball and move forward. There's a need for speed. There's also a need for strength. And you know what? There's a need for someone to carry the water. You ever think about that? The full gamut. When speaking of these gifts of grace, it isn't about natural talent. I think we can get confused about that. The gifts that God gives, He gives that are so they can be used in the body of Christ. An atheist or an agnostic can use their natural talents. They can use their natural talents that have been given to them by God with common grace to do things, good things. But only a Christian that has been filled and empowered by the Spirit can be used to build up and benefit the body of Christ. Well, what are the ministries? What are the ministries when you break them down into their most basic categories? Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. Or write the, write the verse down. 1 Peter 4, verse 11. And Peter's a lot less verbose than Paul is. I mean, we know Peter when he was with Jesus. I mean, he talked a lot, but I don't think he wrote as much. Paul just, could, just writes and writes and writes and writes and writes. Get to the point, please. Get to the point. Get to the point. Peter says this. Whoever speaks as one as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. Okay, so one, one who speaks. Whoever serves. Okay, so we have speak, speaking and serving. Whoever serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Wow. All right, so probably you're either a a servant who serves, does the physical things and sometimes the mental things, or you're a person who speaks. 
Now, we're all called to do both. I guess we can even break it down even farther. We can break it down into one, serving. Because the one who speaks, he's serving the one who doesn't. He's serving the one and building them up. The one who serves is serving, is making sure that the other person who speaks can maybe is able to do that. We all serve. We're all gifted to serve. Turn to Romans 12. Romans 12, where there's another list. Not the same as what we'll find in our verses later today, but again, a list that shows us some of the gifts that God has given. Romans 12, verses 6 through 8. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Okay, that's a good list. But again, they're not the same. And finally, in verse 28 of chapter 12, we can turn now back to chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, and we'll stay there for a while. Verse 28 says, And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Well, I probably believe there are more gifts than these. These are only the ones that are mentioned. Well, how different are these gifts? Let's just put it this way. Suppose you have the gift of teaching. Now, I can look at some people in this room. I know that some, and I'm going to divide you up. Some of you are great. You have the gift of teaching to adults. And some of you have the gift of teaching to that terrible group of people who are called junior hires. And I say that jokingly. I say that jokingly. All right, so one person who teaches the adults, they can just get through. They understand. They have great illustrations. And the adults just follow and follow and follow. Oh, man, he's the best. And then all of a sudden they go to a group of junior hires and they try starting to teach the junior hires and the junior hires have them strung up by the time they leave the room. It's like they're speaking a different language. The one who can reach the adults, oh, he's the best. The one who can reach the junior hires, they're in tears. But it's the same God who empowers both of them. Both have the gift of teaching, but both have been empowered to teach different places. Tony Evans gives an example, and he says this. Sometimes Christians look at each other and at other Christians and say, boy, I wish I could be as spiritual as they are. I wish I had the same gifts that they have. But don't you understand? You have the same identity that they do. So if they are progressing and you're regressing, it is because that they are living in the light of who they are and you are not. 
Ooh, okay. He goes on to say, and I think we can all relate to this. In my house, I have a toaster, a can opener, a microwave, and a refrigerator. They're all different appliances, but they all work with the same power source. When I plug them in, the refrigerator, for example, what's it do? It refrigerates. When I plug the microwave in, the microwave does the microwaving. When I plug the toaster in, the toaster does the toastering. I don't think that's a real word, but he used it. He can get away with it. And when I plug the can opener in, the can opener does its can opening. Each appliance, though different, lives up to its manufactured specifications because each appliance is receiving the same power source. Even though I am different from you and you are different from me, all of us have the equal potential of living up to God's manufacturer's specifications. You can be what God saved you to be, and I can be what God saved me to be because the same electrical current is available to all of God's kids. It's available to all who belong to Christ, so there's no special kids in the kingdom. God has the design for you, but you must know who you are in him. Close quote. What is the prerequisite to be used? How can God use us? How can the Spirit move through us? A pure heart and a willingness to, be ser- and a willingness to serve. Not for yourself, not to benefit yourself, but for God's glory and for the benefit of the body. Well, we've been commanded to understand the gifts, and now we've, we've seen the source of the gifts, and now we see the diversity of the gifts. The Corinthian church had a problem with one-upmanship. They wanted to be better, to be seen as more important than the other. But God is God. He's sovereign. He is the one in control. And the truth of verse 7 must bring us together in a common purpose. I could say this this verse, I believe, verse 7 of chapter 12, is the theme verse of this whole series. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For the common good. The common good of the church. Well, let's go over what is mentioned. And again, this list isn't exhaustive, but it is thorough. Now, this is where we're going to get a little bit not going to really, really go deep today. I just want to introduce them. But I want you to prayerfully consider what the Word of God says. I want us to use our brains. And I want to ask the Spirit to guide us as we go through this. Now, there are different beliefs regarding these gifts. And what I mean by this 
are they still in effect today? Maybe the next question would be, are they all in effect today, or just some of them? Are they permanent, and because if they are, do they still edify the church? Or have some of them been, been, have ceased after the last living apostle was buried? Meaning that some were temporary and used by God to confirm the word of God and the validity of the first given message. Before we go, I want to pray. Lord God, guide us as we look at this. Holy Spirit, we ask you to teach us. Guide us into all truth. We want that. So we can serve you the best way we can. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I believe that Paul lists these particular gifts because they were the ones that the church in Corinth took special pride in. All right, the first two. The utterance of wisdom and knowledge. Now, the reason I say utterance is because it's a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. They're speaking gifts. They're, they're used, they're made to, to speak out. In verse 8, Paul writes, For to the one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. We're going to see this over and over. According to the same Spirit. According to the same Spirit. It's God who gives it. It's Jesus who gives it. Utterance, the word of wisdom, is the ability given by God to understand His will and apply it obediently and to tell others for their benefit. Now, this doesn't mean that you're wise and knowledgeable in the ways of the world. If this is a different thing, these are spiritual things. This is a definition of wisdom. You might write it down. It means godly wisdom and spiritual biblical wisdom is how to live in a skilled and sensible way before God. That's what wisdom means. And it's true life application. How do I live before this? this and we need wise people. The utterance, the word of knowledge seems to logically go with the first. It's being able to teach wisely. And I believe that Paul used this because teaching, he, he didn't mention that in these verses. It is to be able to understand God's Word and accurately and again apply it. They almost go hand in hand. You know, in the first century, it could have been revelatory. Now, when I say revelatory, I mean that God spoke to these folks in person. They heard from God. Just as those who wrote the Scriptures down, they, were, they went by the Holy Spirit. They were, they were moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things. Some of these could have been revelatory. Just as the biblical authors received God's Word. But the canon of Scripture, canon is another word for measuring rod. When you hear the canon, the canon of Scripture is 66 books. 
What did Revelation 22:18 tell us? And you're going to go, I don't remember. Well, I'm going to tell you so you can remember. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which are described in this book. All right, so Revelation seems to say, it's stopped, it's done. Jude 3, not Jude chapter 3, there's only one chapter in Jude. So when I say Jude 3, I mean Jude verse 3 says this, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that once was for all delivered to the saints. It's done. The canon is closed. Now before you say, hmm, why do we have the LDS church? He, he was spoken to. He received a prophecy. No. When some other folks, when they say, I heard God tell me this, and I say that you need to do this. Does it line up? Does it line up? The next gift is faith. Now this can seem odd because if you are a believer, and I would say I'll raise my hand if you, tr if you trust in Christ, you exercised faith. But that's not what this is talking about. Faith here is meant here is to trust beyond what is normal. What, what is even beyond what God has promised, but you're trusting it. Verse 9 says, to another, faith by the same Spirit. Jesus described this type of faith as this. You have a faith of a mustard seed, what? You can move a mountain? All right, that's big faith. That's huge faith. It's being able to lay claim to the promises of God. Examples, Old Testament examples. I love the Old Testament. Elijah. God, I'm going to pray that you send fire down from heaven. And he really truly believed it. And fire came down from heaven. And it consumed a wet altar in a drought. That's big faith. That was big faith for him to pour water on that altar. Or how about for those of you who like autobiographies, or biographies, excuse me, George Mueller, in 18th century England, when he exer exercised faith time after time after time, when he prayed to God, supply the needs for my orphanage, for your kids for this orphanage, and he never asked, and somehow things always came. Money always came in time. Food always came. Everything was taken care of. Why? Because he was a great man of faith and he trusted the one who provided. It's a sure confidence that God is going to act. The next gift, healing. 
And this is a gift that we understand that Jesus exercised often. Can we say amen to that? It was a good, good thing. But before you think that Jesus healed everybody, he didn't. (gasps) Not that he couldn't have. Case in point, John 5. The lame man at the pool of Bethesda. There were many, many lame people around that pool who were trying to get when that water was moved. I don't know how this worked, but the water moved, and they thought if they got there first, they'd be healed. But Christ only chose one. Why did he choose it? To authenticate his message. Yes, he was compassionate. Yes, he he loved those who, who were in need. But he did these things to prove his mission. To prove he was the promised Messiah. To prove his message and ministry. Paul writes, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. Gifts. Plural. Who else did the spirit empower to heal? Well, the apostles. We saw the apostles heal when Christ was still on earth and sometimes when he wasn't, the 70 that he sent out, the associates of the apostles, Philip in Acts 8. As the apostolic period was coming to a close, there were less healings. When we look at some of the epistles, in Philippians 2, people were left sick. Paul had the gift of healing, and he did for a time. Wouldn't he have healed them? How about Timothy? Paul's protege. Stomach problems. What did Paul say? Did Paul, Paul definitely, I guarantee he prayed for him. Take a little wine for your stomach. Is this gift still in effect today? Now, before I answer really quickly, I want to make sure that we understand what I'm talking about. The gift of healing. Are there anybody going through hospitals today? Be healed in the name of Jesus and walk away and they, and they raise up. I am not saying that God doesn't heal. There are people who have an amazing ability to even look at somebody, to be able to put their hands on somebody, to maybe put, put their, you know, put minerals in your hand and hold this up, and all of a sudden you can't. They have a gift, and God has given it, given it to them. Yes, but they are not. People are not rising up. But before I say no, God doesn't heal. Talk to me sometime about my son, Michael, who had a bloody nose at Heartland Camp when he was about to be sent home because they couldn't stop it. And the whole camp prayed that he would, God, heal him. And when they did, the whole camp, his nose stopped bleeding. Does God still heal? Yes, he does. 
But do people have the gift of healing in this regard? But I'm not putting God in the box. God can do what he wants, and God will do what he wants. Church, we have the right to ask. And we do ask. And God answers. Next, the gift of miracles. This describes a supernatural intrusion into the natural world and natural law. Verse 10 tells us, to another, the working of miracles. What am I talking about here? Jesus turning water into wine, producing food. Try this one, walking on water. It also could include manifesting spiritual power. I believe that casting out demons would be a part of this. Next, prophecy. During the first century, this gift was very, very important, and it was sometimes revelatory. Paul just says to another prophecy. We'll cover this gift on another day, but it involves giving some kind of word from the Lord. It means to speak forth, to proclaim truth before an audience. It can often mean to speak publicly. And this gift is one of the most controversial gifts. Because those who still proclaim that they are still hearing, thus saith the Lord, not all people, but some people put that on the same plane as your written word of God. Can you see how dangerous that is? It can open up a spiritual volcano, and I don't mean a good thing. We're almost done. The next on the list, discernment. And if you're writing it down, you could put spiritual discernment. It's understanding truth from error. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. It's the gift to discern what is the difference between genuine and, genuine and true, right, false and not false. And in the first century, this was vital because they didn't have the canon yet. The New Testament scriptures weren't, weren't finalized yet. And ravenous wolves, that's a good illustration for you, sought to destroy the flock of God. They would come in behind true teaching and they would just lay it bare that it was false. You had to know what is being taught there is wrong. And we still need that today. For us today, we have the Scriptures once and all for delivered to the saints, but we still need the help and guidance of the Spirit to call out false teaching and heresy. There are still ravenous wolves. As a side note, I think this gift is the gift that the Corinthians seem to ignore the most. I don't think it was flashy enough. 
The final diverse gifts are tongues and their interpretation. Paul wrote, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. And these are another of the, one of the controversial gifts. In chapter 14, we're going to take a deep dive into their use and their functions. I'm going to give you a teaser. I believe that when the Bible speaks of tongues, they are a known language. Not the people who have the gift, but they were a real known language speak, spoken by different nations of the earth. That when those people... The Holy Spirit came upon them. I can't speak French. I don't understand French. But when, when Acts, when the Spirit came, I don't think they spoke French that day. But they spoke in the languages for all the people that were in Jerusalem. And these were guys from Galilee. All that to say, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who, apportion, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. The second half of the verse is the main point. The gifts are appointed by God. How and to he wills. A theologian helps us end our time today by saying, we do not earn our gifts. We do not learn gifts. They are given to us. And they're given to us as God so pleases, not according to our deserving nor according to our natural talents that God saw in us. In other words, don't get so proud. The Corinthians thought that they were special stuff. They must be special to be so gifted. Yes, credit must be given to God, but then God must have seen that they were worth the special attention. We are given what God gives and for God's purposes. That's it. Close quote. Are you looking to use your gifts that God has given? Pray. Pray and ask God to use you. Understand me? You're on this earth for a divine purpose. It's the only reason you're here. You're here because God still wants to use you. For those of you who are possibly disappointed, don't raise your hand. Possibly disappointed that your gift isn't as flashy as someone else's, take this last story to heart. A youngster was trying out for a part in the school play. His mother knew that he had set his heart on this and he had worked hard on it. And, but she was afraid that he wouldn't be chosen because she knew that really, he did, uh, it's not looking good for you. On the day the parts were awarded, she went to pick him up. She saw him and she was in the, in the little car line and the little guy ran out and his, his eyes, she could see it in his eyes. It were excitement. I mean, he, he, oh man, this is good, this is good. What could it have been? Wow. The little guy rushed up to see her. And he, he took, what, what happened? And his words should remain a lesson to all of us. 
Mommy, I've been chosen to clap and cheer. In the same way, God has lovingly chosen each of us for different and special tasks. Let him work. Lord God, we come to you and we thank you that you have not left us on this earth as orphans. Spirit, we ask you to work in us Help us to help others. Guide us to minister to those around us. May we not quench the Spirit of God. May we somehow see you smile. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.